Well, take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 12. And I want to read to you here the passage we started looking at this morning. John chapter 12, you can go to verse 20. And you can follow along there in your Bible as I read from the English Standard Version. John 12, starting at verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then pay extra close attention here to verses 25 and 26. Whoever loses his life, or I'm sorry, whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now we noted this morning that in this passage, Jesus is helping us see why he must suffer and die. He says that his hour has come, and we talked about that briefly this morning, noting that this is not a, an hour of 60 minutes, this is a period of time that he says now his hour has come. This period of time has come. He will, he will suffer, he will die, he will be buried in the grave, and then he will rise from the dead, and then he will ascend. And that's the period of time he's talking about. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he points at this example, this illustration of the seed, this grain of wheat that falls to the earth and dies. And if it remains alone, it, it does no good. But if it's buried, it bears much fruit. Jesus must suffer and die but, because He does, there is much fruit. And Jesus is the benefactor of that fruit, and all who put their faith and trust in Him are the benefactors of that fruit. They are that fruit. As we went on in the text, uh, Jesus is, again, He's pointing to this truth of why He must Die, but he, then he switches gears here, and you just heard it in verses 25 and 26. He switches from, as he's talking about the seed that dies, which is pointing to his crucifixion, verses 25 and 26. Whoever loves his life loses it. He's not loving his life, he's giving his life, so he's not losing it. And yet some look at his crucifixion and think he lost his life. No, he didn't. He willingly gave his life. 
And so whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity, eternal life. Now he's talking about believers who would invest their life in eternal things, believers who would first put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and then follow along and serve Him. So verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am, there will my servant be also. You are going to be kept by Christ if you trust in Christ. If you trust in Christ, you're going to want to serve Christ. You're going to want to do it with your life, and you ought to do it with your whole life. And you ought to do it for His glory. And so look at verse 26 again. If anyone serves Me, he must follow Me. And where I am, there will My servant be also. If anyone serves Me, the Father will honor him. So tonight I want to take a few moments and think about from the Scriptures how followers of Christ... How are followers of Jesus Christ to go about dying while we live? Dying to self while we live on this earth? So that we might live for Christ and bear fruit. And so that fruit would be for God's glory. How can we go about doing that? I want to think about that from the Scriptures tonight. And we would be right to say, As I just read verse 26, we would be right to say that to die to self means to serve and to follow Jesus Christ. To put serving Jesus Christ first in our lives. Not second, not third, not after all the other things that tempt us to be first. We're to put serving Jesus Christ first in our lives. Doesn't mean you're to quit your job. Doesn't mean that you're to leave your family. And it means that where you are, serve the Lord Jesus Christ with all of you. We would also be right to conclude from the Scriptures that those who are following Jesus will also put service to others for God's glory right after serving God for His glory and before serving yourself. For example, we hear this in Galatians 5. Verses 13 and 14, for, we, uh, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. There's that idea of being careful that you're not out only serving yourself. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Serve one another. We'll also see it in the example and the words of Jesus when we enter John chapter 13 in the weeks ahead. In John chapter 13, if you want to turn a page, or maybe it's just across the page for you, John 13 verses 12 through 14. And this we have and we know It's a familiar and powerful example. If you've read the Gospel of John, John 13, verses 12 through 14, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. In other words, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, be careful that you don't live your life putting yourself first all the time. Seek to serve others as you serve Christ. So how do you serve Jesus? Well, it begins by obeying His Word. If you, um, if you say, I want to serve the Lord, I want to do something for Jesus, it really needs to begin with, are you seeking to be obedient with, with what God's Word has told you in His, in his Word, in, his, in the Scriptures, in your Bible? Are you being obedient to God? Are you seeking to conform your life to the truths of God's Word? So how do you serve Jesus? You start by pursuing the truth of God's Word and applying it to your life and seeking to honor Him with your obedience. And part of obeying His Word, of course, again, we see it again and again in the Scriptures, includes serving others. So um, I would encourage you as you think about how do you serve the Lord and how do you honor God with your life in this way, you don't just skip straight to serving others, but you don't withhold yourself from serving others either. You also need to Pursue the truth of God's Word so that your thinking is conformed to the Word of God and so that your service is for God's glory so that you know how to serve Him and how to serve others. But you also ought to look for ways to serve others. Now that's easier said than done, isn't it? Dying to self, that's not automatic for us, is it? Why is that? Why is it hard for us to make room in our lives to put ourselves on the back burner and put someone else up front uh, to, to put the priorities of others ahead of our own at times? Why is that so hard? Well, first of all, it's hard because we're naturally prone to think first of ourselves. Aren't we? We're naturally prone to think first of ourselves. We're selfish You might not describe yourself that way, but we're all selfish. We're all thinking of ourselves first. At heart, we're just naturally inclined to think of ourselves first. When I think of that, I'm often reminded of kind of humorous thing that would happen um, many years ago when my younger brother and I had, uh, had jobs. We were both employed by a large insurance company in Columbus, Ohio that had headquarters there, and one of the office buildings was... Uh, one, one that we worked in was maybe um, eight or ten stories, I don't remember, but it had an elevator, of course, and we worked on the same floor. We were in different departments, but we worked in the same, on the same floor, and, and uh, one of us would call the other and say, hey, you ready to eat? And we'd stand up in our cubicle and wave at each other and walk to the elevator, and I would just stand right in front of the elevator. So when the doors open, there are people that need to get off, and I'm standing, I mean, like right in front of the elevator doors. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, stand back and, and say, well, I'm, you know, um, we think we're the only ones in the building, jokingly. And that happened several times until I finally was like, wait a minute, there are people in the elevator that are going to get off. You need to stand back, dummy. And um, so I would stand back and wait for the doors to open, wait for people to get off, and then get on the elevator. But I always thought it was kind of funny that, you know, we'd get to talking, going to lunch, and thinking we're the only two guys in the whole building. Um, just naturally, 
You push the button for the elevator, it's for you if it comes. There shouldn't be anybody on there, right? That should be your elevator. Well, that's kind of how we thought. Even though that was not intentional, it was kind of subconscious. Why? Because we automatically think of ourselves first. It may seem like a silly example, but it's true, isn't it? And you can think of other areas in your life that, that evidence that truth, that prove that that's truth. Just, uh, just go for a drive in traffic, anywhere in traffic. Just go for a drive and, 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 and you know, feel your blood pressure rise as you feel somebody you know, is not going fast enough or took your spot or cut you off or got in your way. And, or maybe... Or maybe somebody lets you know that they think you're in their way. We just naturally gravitate to caring for ourselves before caring for others. So yes, it's hard to want to serve others because we naturally gravitate to serving ourselves first. This is why the Holy Spirit found it necessary to inspire Paul to write in Philippians 2 and verse 4 these words, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, why did he say that? Not only to his own interests, because you do look to your own interests first. But, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This uh, idea of putting others before ourselves is unnatural to us, isn't it? And yet, if we have the Holy Spirit, we have a, a new nature that kind of does war with our old nature, and we need to exercise the new nature to, to overcome the old nature. And putting self first is, is a part of our old nature, but putting others first is a part of our new nature. Second Timothy 3.2 says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, that's the sin nature. And that's what we're still battling with. And, and there in the first several verses of 1 Timothy 3, Paul goes into even greater, really terrible detail about how far the world without Christ will go and how they got there. How they get there? Led by their sin nature. How? Thinking only of self first. But even with your faith in Christ, you're still fighting that sin nature. It's not just the world out there. It's believers in here. We're still fighting the sin nature. So there's that. There's also another reason serving others is difficult. Serving others in obedience to Christ for His glory is hard because you are also opposed by the devil. We don't like to think about that, but it's, it's true. I think um, Eric mentioned C.S. Lewis' book this morning. It just came to my mind. Uh, Eric mentioned C.S. Lewis' book in Sunday school this morning, The Screwtape Letters. You ever read it? Um, it's, it's a book set as though Satan were writing to his demons about Christians and how to derail them. Really good read if you read it. I know, Eric, you said, what did you say? When you read it, you were, you were having a hard time going like, wait, this is heresy. Oh, yeah, this is supposed to be the devil talking, right? It's hard. Right, right. It's, it's hard to get that 
fixed in your mind when you're like, wait, that's not right. That's not true. That's not biblical. You have an adversary, the devil. He exists. He's real. He's active. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We're going to see that in a moment. 1 Peter 5. In fact, you can turn there if you want. I just read a, read a passage there. 1 Peter 5. You have an adversary, the devil, and he is actively seeking to divert you from paths of righteousness. Thankfully, God's Word shows the way to following Jesus and you learn to serve others for God's glory with with self-forgetfulness when you follow God's Word. When you're more concerned with pleasing the Lord, you'll, you'll tend to forget self and gravitate toward serving others first with that new nature guiding you, with the Holy Spirit guiding you. But you do have an adversary, the devil. He is actively seeking to trip you up, to derail you, to divert you from the, the path of righteousness. So, so how are you to be strengthened and pro- uh, properly equipped if you're to serve Jesus and others for God's glory while trying not to put yourself first all the time. Trying not to put your needs always before the needs of others. It's, it's because you have an adversary of the devil. And as you look at 1 Peter 5, go to verse 8. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9 calls you to be sober-minded and watchful in your walk with Christ. You may know this passage well. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Be aware. Be alert to this, that Satan is active. Your adversary, the devil, devil, I I quoted it a moment ago, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him firm in your faith. Firm in your faith. And note that you have here in verse 9 one of the main ways Satan likes to divert your thinking from serving your Savior. One of the main ways he likes to divert you from serving others for God's glory. And he tries to keep you chained to this. He wants you thinking only of yourself. He wants to divert you from honoring God with your life and serving the needs of others by distracting you with you, with yourself, with your own needs and your own perceived needs. That's the goal. Satan wants you to only think of yourself. Why resist Satan? Because if you don't, you will be derailed in your walk with Christ. How are we to resist Satan? Look at verse 9 again. Verse 9 says, Resist him firm in your faith. And then it goes on. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. But it begins with being firm in your faith. Now, how would Satan like for you to think as you seek to serve Jesus and serve others for His glory? Well, he wants you to think that you're the only one who suffers. 
He wants you to think that you're the only one with problems, with daily troubles. That's actually what we're all tempted to think when we're facing either opposition for our faith or difficulty in life or hardship or pain. We are tempted to think we are all alone and it's only me. I'm the only one suffering. I found uh, this interesting quote from the book Pride and Prejudice, which caught my attention. This is not biblical truth, but it is interesting. This is where we often find ourselves. Those who do not complain are never pitied. Those who do not complain are never pitied. Satan wants you to know that and take that to heart. If you don't complain, nobody's going to feel sorry for you, we think. Satan wants us to think. It's a pretty good example of the way Satan wants you to think. He wants you to think only of yourself. If I don't tell people how bad things are for me, no one will care, he wants you to think. Satan whispers, poor you, poor you. You don't deserve this. And you're the only one who suffers for Jesus like you do. Satan whispers, you should feel sorry for yourself. You should take care of yourself. Forget about the needs of others. Who's caring for your needs if you're not going to do it? Are you sure you want to obey the Bible? Isn't it only going to cause you more pain if you do? We're not to listen to that. We're to resist Him. How? Firm in our faith. Firm in our faith. We must resist the devil when we're tempted to think this way. Do not listen to that. What you need is the Word of God. And the Bible reminds you to seek always to have your thinking shaped by God's Word, shaped by the truth. We just read it in Psalm 19, didn't we? About how wonderful God's Word is. And how we ought to pursue the truth of God's Word. Harder than we would ever pursue gold, riches, stuff. Followers of Jesus all over the world are facing the same kinds of suffering for the sake of the Gospel that we are. The same kind of difficulties in life that we are. The same kinds of hardships. You are not alone. And so says verses 8 and 9 here in 1 Peter 5, be sober-minded, be watchful. Resist him, the devil, firm in your faith. So you need to resist the devil with a firm faith. And that firm faith will only become so as it grows and is strengthened because it is informed by the Word of God. We must also seek to overcome sin. So we need to overcome the temptation to give in to doubt and fears, even the temptation that Satan might throw before us. But we must also seek to overcome sin. Yes, the devil is active. But here's another truth. We, we are often our own worst enemies. We don't often need to be prompted by the devil. We are often our own worst enemies. So how do you overcome sin? 
How do you grow in your faith so that you learn to sin less and less and become more and more, more and more obedient as you learn to walk with Christ by faith? How do you grow in your faith? How do you overcome sin? You only overcome sin by growing faith in Jesus Christ that is rooted in the truth of God's Word. You become firm in your faith, as 1 Peter 5.9 says, by walking with Christ in the Word, by turning to the Lord in prayer. We sang it tonight, didn't we? How we need to surrender to the Lord in prayer. Talk to Him about those things that burden us. To talk to Him about the things that challenge us. Trust Him with them. He is there. He is at work. And He will strengthen your faith so that your faith is firm, so that you may resist the devil and resist yourself, your own temptations to sin. Now let's turn to 1 John 5 for a moment. 1 John 5. First John 5, and look at verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's where faith begins, isn't it? But you know, faith doesn't end there either. We need to keep reminding ourselves that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm trusting in the one true God, the one who sent His Son to be the propitiation for my sins, the complete and acceptable sacrifice for my sins. So you only overcome sin by faith in the one who paid for your sin. Jesus is the one who conquered sin for your sake. And so you first must believe in Jesus. But you don't, you don't stop needing to believe in Jesus. Once you trust in Christ, He's, he's going to keep you. But He wants you to keep trusting in Him. He wants you to keep believing in Him. And that believing looks like getting into His Word. Being faithful. Being a part of God's church. Talking to the Lord in prayer. Seeking to serve those around you for God's glory. You start walking in obedience to the Lord by following His Word and He will strengthen your faith. He will give you a firm faith. And that brings us back to overcoming self. If you're to die to self, if you're to live for Christ and serve others for God's glory, then you need to overcome self and you need to do it with a firm faith. A faith that is growing and being strengthened always. Think about that. How do you overcome self? You need to seek to be empty of self and full of Christ. How do you do that? You look to Christ. 
get your eyes off yourself, always caring for your own needs, and think about what your life should look like in obedience to God's Word. And, and you can begin to do that by seeking to actively grow in the fruit of the Spirit. A passage in Galatians 5 that may be familiar to you, and Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, gives us a glimpse of what that looks like. The fruit of the Spirit is, you know how it starts, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, verse 23, gentleness, self-control. That's not selfish living, is it? That's living in obedience to God's Word. How do you grow in the fruit of the Spirit? Well, you need to be controlled by the Spirit of God who is in you if you are in Christ. And the only way you can overcome self is by being controlled by the Spirit. That's why Ephesians 5 verse 18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, being drunk isn't the only way you can find yourself without the Spirit's strength and wisdom. But it's an example. It's a good example of what not to do. And we can think of all kinds of examples of what would take us away from being filled with the Spirit. We're to seek not to be controlled by our own thinking. Our own, we might be discouraged, or you might face a hardship or difficulty. You might be tempted to despair. You're not to be led astray by your despair, by your disheartenment. You're to seek to to be filled with the Spirit so that you're equipped with the wisdom of God's Word, that you're strengthened with God's help, growing in love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God wants us to have all of those things. That is, the fruit. Those aren't the fruits, they're, it's the fruit. He wants us to have all of those things and grow in all of those. So if we're seeking to be filled by the Spirit, we're going to be in God's Word. We're going to be led by and taught by and trained by and corrected by the Bible. You seek to be filled by the Spirit by speaking to God in prayer. And, and as you speak to Him in prayer, you remind yourself that I'm supposed to be surrendering my will to having His will done. I, I may bring my ideas and my requests to God, but if He overrules them and, and comes back and answers my, my prayers with different answers than I asked for, I ought to be happy He does. And you seek the filling of the Spirit of God by being faithful in obedience to His Word, of course, and by being faithful as a part of His church. And if you are submitting yourself to being controlled by the Spirit of God at work in you, you will have a firm faith. You will have a thriving faith. It says, Proverbs 16.32 says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. How do you get there? You grow. You seek to grow in the truth of God's Word, in your obedience. You seek to submit yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit in you to help you understand the Word, to 
convict you of sin, to, to warn you when you're tempted by sin. How do you find victory like that, like you see there in Proverbs 16.32 when it says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Whoever learns to control himself, you're going to learn to control yourself by the Spirit's help and by the Word of God and in no other way. You might be able to exercise self-control for a period of time, but to have true victory in Christ, you need to submit yourself to God's Word and to His Spirit and ask Him to grow in you a firm faith so that you will not be derailed in your walk with Christ. And so as we think about what Jesus had to say in our passage this morning, as we're reminded by verses 25 and 26, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Seek to overcome self with God's help, with the wisdom of His Word. Not in your own strength, but in His strength. In the strength of Christ. In the strength of Christ that showed His power when He overcame death at His resurrection. That's the strength of Christ that He promises to work in you as you seek to put to death sinful deeds and thoughts and things that would keep you from honoring the Lord. Seek to overcome self by the Word of God and the Spirit of God living in you if you are in Christ. And then one more passage here. James 1.19 also shows the way, saying, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Quick to hear. Learn to, learn to listen to God's Word. And you'll learn to be slow with your speech and slow with your emotions. Our emotions can over, overwhelm us if we're not careful and lead us to despair if we're not careful when we're going through hardship. But God wants us to be firm in our faith. He wants us to be strengthened in our walk with Christ. He wants us to be growing in the fruit of the Spirit. And this is how we're to live for Christ, forgetting self, serving others for God's glory, resisting the devil, overcoming sin, overcoming self. Give your life to the one who gave his life for you. And that's what Jesus was pointing to. Even in verse 26 there, back in John 12, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And if that's you, If Jesus were to look and see if you're following Him, you know what He says? And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves Me, the Father will honor Him. Think about that. We don't... I don't think we often ponder those thoughts. I think we often blow by those kinds of thoughts. But stop and ponder that thought and what it means to be serving the Lord and honored by the Father. Wouldn't it be incredible to know the honor that the Father gives because you're surrendered to Him, that you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're serving Him. Ultimately, that honor will be found in eternity in heaven. We think of our heavenly home when we see the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But I don't think he reserves that honor for only then. I think God's word points to this truth again and again, that he promises to help us now. He promises to encourage us now. Give your life to the one who gave his life for you, and you'll be helped by God, and you'll be blessed in Christ, and your life will be kept in Christ for all eternity. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Wonderful words from our Savior. Wonderful truths from God's Word as we've examined tonight. And I trust you'll be challenged and strengthened to seek to please the Lord with your life, seek to serve Him with your life, seek to serve Him as a part of His church, and seek to serve others for God's glory. May God help us to that end.